Hey everybody, I'm Sean Rosenstiel, author of The School of Intentional Living and host of Authorized, where authors go live to reveal their insights, stories, and best lessons from their most recent works. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy this week's episode. I'm so excited to have with me here today Cheryl Burton, author of Overcoming Daddy Issues, Sorrow to Victory, Stories of Healing from Father Wounds. Cheryl, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for inviting me to come on the show today. I appreciate it, John. Yeah, you bet. You bet. I'm excited to, to hear from you, hear about your book. So tell me a little bit about how your book, Overcoming Daddy Issues, came to be. Well, Sean, this was a long process. My poor friends heard stories about how I wanted to talk about my, or I did talk about my daddy issues quite a bit. And my accountability partners on the John Maxwell team heard me talk about how I needed to write a book on daddy issues. And I shared that with them for about a year and a half. I finally decided to start asking women if they had any daddy issues. So I interviewed 15 women or 14 women to determine if I had enough material to actually write about daddy issues. And that's how it really came to be. I got the different stories about the struggles that women had when they had an uninvolved or an ineffective father. Hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. So obviously, you know, as a father to a daughter myself, you know, I, I was heartbroken uh, reading some of these stories. You, you had 14 interviews and stories, and then you actually um, were courageous enough to share uh, your story on the 15th interview. So, right. <laughs> so yeah, and, and from, from, you know, selfishly, you know, I was very intrigued to read your book because obviously I, I, I do my best to be an involved dad uh, to my three children and especially my daughter. But what I'm wondering is, you know, you mentioned how some some women date or even marry their fathers, right? Uh, metaphorically speaking. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and the thing that always amazed me, Sean, is the women, even though they've had abusive fathers, they marry their father, but they don't know that they're marrying their father. They think that it's just hmm. men who keep coming into their lives. And I had to learn that no one comes into your life without your permission. So I had to stop blaming the guys and start looking at <laughs> me. And, the, and that's one of the things that I would like for women to see as well, that it's not, these guys don't just show up. There's a reason that they coming in your life. And maybe it's, learn something. I had to learn what my issues were so that I could overcome. Hmm. So, so Cheryl, you talked about the law of attraction and you said, you know, we lure who we are, not what we want. So is, is that part of what you're suggesting here? Is that, yes, you know, you that, that is, that's to, part of the law of attraction. It's, <laughs> I just, I rephrase it. Because it says we attract who we are, not what we want. 
And you right. can't, to, to piggyback on that other statement, if a decent guy comes into your life, like one Kiara said, she's, she's a good example. She said that she did not want a good man because she thought it was something wrong with them. She was accustomed to an abusive alcoholic father and her most of the men that she dealt with starting at the age of 16 were abusive and alcoholic. She married an abusive and alcoholic man. Now, when I was younger, my daddy was a drug addict and I blamed my mother for having had a relationship with him. I married a guy who was just like my dad. Now he didn't start off like my dad, but he became a heroin addict. And he was he was not verbally or physically abusive, but if you've ever dealt with anybody on drugs, you know that the problems that they can cause in your life can be monumental. Hmm. But it did help me to understand. Now I it took me a while because I had that guy and then Another guy I had a relationship with who was a liar and cheat, <laughs> no character. So I still hadn't learned. And then I had another guy who was decent and I cheated on him. So I still had to learn. And I finally got into a relationship with a decent guy, but it was only after many, many years and many, many trials. And after I learned that I was the only constant in those relations. So how can I blame other people? I was the one. <laughs> it's amazing though that you, you, I think we all have to get to that place where we take responsibility. But for something like this, I, I can't imagine that that's easy to do. Well, it's not easy to do, but it helped that I started a personal growth journey. I heard enough that I wanted to find a way through the problems. And I started off with reading Wayne Dyer's On Erroneous Zones. And when I read it, I chuckled. I said, well, I've got all of these. <laughs> but that was the first one. And then I just continued on and reading more and more personal growth books. But I also continued seeking other careers. I was always training myself for something else. I wanted to be a coach. I wanted to be a counselor. I worked with other people. I always wanted to add value to other people, but the person I really needed to learn to add value is myself because I was a huge people, people pleasing. And I had to learn that I have to love myself enough that I don't need to project on, project my need onto someone else. The last, and I mentioned this in the book, but the last guy that I had the relationship with said, you are so mean. So it's going to really hurt you because you wear your need like a flag. And I didn't think I was particularly needy, but I guys could see it. And my husband, my current husband said, he said, women who are extreme needy are it's obvious. And men who are users want to gravitate to it. Wow. And then wow. You know, uh, one of the other things, too, in my life that I had a son who had a disability and 
because that was the first time I had to become comfortable with the idea that I could not control. I couldn't do enough to make him better. I tried and tried and tried and tried to do everything I knew and I couldn't. So that's when I started developing my relationship with Jesus because I knew that he came, my son came into this world for a purpose. And his purpose was to, well, I don't know if it was just to help me grow, but he certainly has helped me grow a lot. And it has enabled me to get over myself and to become reliant on. Hey, hey, Cheryl, sorry about that. I think hey, we cut Cheryl, out. I think we cut yeah, out when I, you started to say I had a son who had a disability. Okay. So yeah. can you re back yeah. up about 15 yeah. seconds and just start right from there? I had a son who had a disability. Okay. I had a son who had my first son had a disability. He had actually, he was multiply handicapped. He was born without uh, a thumb on his right hand with a small ear on the He's hearing impaired. He's got some cognitive problems when he was a baby, especially. And his esophagus connected to his trachea, the windpipe connected to his, his feeding tube in the, as a, like a channel. And so when I first nursed him, he turned blue. Now, at that time, I had been a respiratory therapist for many years, and I panicked. I was looking around for oxygen and I could have given him mouth to mouth, but I didn't. But nevertheless, I'll just go on with the story. Because I did everything that I knew how to make him better, it couldn't make him better. I had to turn it over to God and have him do what he needed to do in his life, to make him into the person that he wanted him to be. And now he's 39 and he is the most fantastic person that I've ever met, highest emotional quotient of any person that I know. He's been at his current job for 15 years and has got multiple awards. His supervisor even said, well, if we ever tried to fire Brandon, then there would be a riot <laughs> because people <laughs> love him so much. As a matter of fact, just one other story is that the doctor and him $400 for Christmas one year because they wanted to express their appreciation to him for what a hard worker he is. And he always says it. He said, I work really hard. And just he's got so much initiative. I'm finished talking about my family. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. He was, he was God used him to help me to, because, you know, just one other thing. I always loved intellect. So the men that I tended to deal with had were, were intelligent. They may not have had any character, but they were intelligent, lack of character people. <laughs> and so I had a son who had cognitive problems. It's difficult for him to learn, but I had to learn the value of loving someone or what they can contribute and not mm -hmm. only for their intelligence. Yeah. Yeah, it's powerful. I, I think a lot of us can relate to that, especially when we have certain expectations of others and they don't necessarily meet those expectations, right? 
Um, so there's some very powerful lessons in in acceptance. And, you know, one of the things that you talked about in, in the book is the power of forgiveness, right? So can you speak a little bit to that as far as, because you, you shared so much about your own story, um, very brave and courageous, as did all of these other 14 women who you interviewed. And in talking about your own father and the alcoholism and the heroin addiction, this power of forgiveness, how, how did you, how did you navigate all of that? Well, and part of it is because I'm a, a follower of Christ that, that I have learned, because one of the things he tells us, if, if we don't forgive others, we will not be forgiven. Hmm. But the value of forgiveness for anyone is that lack of forgiveness holds you as a prisoner. Hmm. And you cannot you cannot do enough to punish someone for what they've done to you. And so forgiveness is not a gift to them. Forgiveness is a gift to you so that you're no longer shackled by those feelings that you've got to get back at them. You can't get back at them for what they've done. You can never retake. Like all the years that I was disappointed in my dad, I can never retrieve those. I can't make him be a person other than what he was. Mm -hmm. I would release him and allow him to be molded in the way God wants him molded, and I get out of it. I'm not going to hold him hostage. Yeah, wow. That's powerful. It's powerful. And I, I've read a lot about that. Uh, I'm a big fan of Wayne Dyer as well. And he oftentimes teaches about how, yeah, I know you, are. <laughs> you know, you, it's a, it's more about you than it is about them. You know, it's, it's uh, letting yourself off of the hook for that. Right. Um, so, um, you know, you mentioned that some women date and marry their father. Well, does the same thing apply to men? With their mothers, I mean, does the same rule of thumb apply there to the opposite sex, or is it primarily skewed towards women? No, <laughs> men tend to marry their mothers as well. And, you know, because think about the fact that you've got children and you're modeling certain behaviors and expectations for your children, things that they're comfortable with. And people tend to gravitate toward what they're comfortable with. And so it's, it's not such a surprise that people would marry who they are familiar with. Now, I'm not just saying this. Research bears it out. There have been researchers who have tested this, who have discovered that no matter how abusive the, fam the parent is, whether they're a narcissist parent, so if a, a son has a narcissistic mother, for some odd reason, he's attracted to a narcissistic woman. And one of Rosenberg wrote this in his book, The Human Magnet Syndrome. He talked about how people are attracted to what they're familiar with. Hmm. But yes, to answer your question. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. So, so many of us are just more comfortable with the familiar than the unfamiliar, right? And right. I think that, that makes a and lot of sense. If you get healthy now, if you get healthy and you've got an unhealthy mate, then you may 
kicked him to the curb. It makes now what he in in his book. He said he married two or three women who were narcissistic, and he couldn't figure out why he kept attracting that same person. And that's how he came up with the idea of him and that. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And towards the back of your book, you have, I believe, five, I would call them personas, right? And <laughs> yeah. w- which one do you think, I mean, you just mentioned the narcissist, but do you find that there's the most common persona of all here? And if so, w- what would that look like? Who is it and what would that look like? Well, the narcissist tends to be the most common. Now, there are people who are sociopathic narcissists, so they could be a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. And I, I indicated that the hierarchy was a psychopath. They're psychopathic narcissists. But what's common, the common thing is that all of those people who have those tendencies are very charming. They know what their victim needs and they give them that. As a matter of fact, if you ever watched, I used to watch Lifetime movies until they kind they all, they invariably featured a guy who was excessively charming, who would always satisfy your needs, who brought you flowers, took you on wonderful dates, brought you presents, and it's all to gain your confidence. And also to learn what your triggers are so that they can use you. The whole point is that it gives women tools to recognize the narcissist or the psychopath or the sociopath when they see them. Because if you look at the lies, because men are so, well, not women too, are so adept at lying. Some people, if they're moving their mouth, you know that they're lying. And that's that was true. My my first husband, if, and believe the lie, but use the lies, use their tools to manipulate you. And if you understand that there are manipulators out there, then that is your first protection and your best defense. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so I want to shift our focus for a moment, Cheryl, on some of the statistics you gave in the book, because I I found them to be pretty um, interesting and and eye-opening. And one of the stats that kind of hit home with me was that the Center for Disease Control said that 85% of children who exhibit behavioral disorders actually come from fatherless homes. Um, So is this, I'm just wondering, because I would think that a motherless home would, would be very challenging as well. Um, so I want to know why this is, do you think, you know, from all of your research, all of your expertise, expertise, all of your studies, you know, why is this statistic so high? Well, the father is the first person who validates the child, whether it's a son or daughter. And I haven't studied a whole lot about daughters and the absence, the impact of the absence of a mother. But I do know that a father is the one that gives the foundation, is one of the ones who gives the foundation and stability to the child. He's the first one that the daughter learns from that she has value. 
And you know, with yourself, with your little girl, how she is constantly seeking your approval. And if she doesn't get your approval, if if you've ever ignored her, if you ever, if she's dressed in something very pretty and she said, look, daddy, am I pretty? Do I look pretty? And what if you said, oh, girl, don't bother me. I don't think you look pretty in that dress. It would be crushing. And that's what some of the girls have experienced. And some of them don't ever have anyone to validate their, their existence. And so they seek that value from other people. And yes, they do act out. The majority of people in prison, men anyway, in prison come from fatherless homes, mm. either inadequately parented or non-existent parents. So do you have any recommendations? I mean, obviously there are a lot of single mothers out there, right? So what's the next best thing? You know, if I'm a single mom and I'm raising children on my own, um, what's the next best thing if my children don't have a, a father who is present? Well, there are organizations like, and you have to be very, very careful, of course. There are organizations like Big Brother uh, there are, if you have family members, uncles, brothers, cousins who can serve as a father figure, that would be valuable because what they really need is someone to validate their existence. And just that my, my husband, for example, my niece has three children and she doesn't have a father in the home. And my, my husband takes the kids to the movie. And he helps the social life. I mean, he buys them gifts to show that they have value. Even with that, the, the girls are especially feeling as if they don't, they're not valuable enough for their father to be a part of their life. But you can have someone that's a substitute. And the other thing that I mentioned at the very introduction is I am saddened by the number of women who satisfied, of course, satisfied with being someone's mama mm -hmm. and required nothing of the man except a sexual partner. The men just connect with them so that they can use them for their money or for sex or for a home. And I'd love for women to see their value beyond that. And so that's one of the other reasons that I wrote the book. Because Women need, once you start seeing your value and stop being satisfied with the lower level of the rung and just have any man come into your house. One of the things my husband says is everybody that is a male is not a man. And so mm -hmm. women need to have the standards so that they can set that, that template for their daughters. And they have to set the template for themselves because it's almost better to be alone than to be with someone who is toxic and who's going to infuse your daughter or your son with inappropriate values. So yeah, I think that women, if they have their own, their own uh, template for character and for values, that they can do a lot to make a difference in their children's lives and make that generational problem. 
Yeah, I love that because obviously as as the leader in the home, you know, we are role modeling the way uh, for our children and they're looking up to us and they're paying attention and they're modeling after our own behaviors, right? So yeah, I, I love that. And I also really appreciated you have a lot of journaling exercise exercises through each and every chapter. Um, so I think some of those exercises were designed to help you understand your values, the character traits you're looking for, the standards you're looking to hold, right? Um, so I think that's very, very right. helpful for people reading the book. Well, and I think that if people are honest, see, that's the only, as a coach, I one of the things that I've discovered is people don't want to tell themselves the truth. So they will either avoid the exercises or even as I'm talking with them, they will avoid certain topics that are too people. And they will tend to blame other people and not want to go there, don't want to explore themselves. But the only answer is to go deeply and to tell yourself the truth, not your self-aggrandizing version of the truth. What you know, because we all know what the truth is. <laughs> yeah. And, well, well, I love that. I, one of the quotes that I like so much is you said, the way to wholeness is through the brokenness. Right? Right. And that came I, from wisdom. And I think that he is, or he or she, I think it's a man who wrote that, is that you have to come to an end of yourself. You have to be willing to face your reality and face your contribution to the problem. You have to be humble enough to listen. And so that's why that quote had important. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Another thing that resonated deeply with me is how, you know, you said it, if you don't learn a life lesson, you tend to repeat it until you do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like the Israelites I always yeah. say, I tell my friends back around the mountain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I haven't learned it yet. So I have to keep learning it. Don't you find that in your life that it keeps something keeps showing up and you wonder, well, why do, why is this experience keep showing up in my life? Because you haven't learned it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I love that. And you mentioned that we're all under construction. And I thought that was a really neat way to look at just people and life in general. You're, you're, we're all a work in progress. We're all under construction, right? And if you understand that, that there's no perfect people. If you are dealing with someone who is willing to look at their issue and who is willing to forgive and willing to help you along the path, then that's the person that is valuable to have in a relationship. Because, and I'm not perfect. My husband's not perfect. My husband reminded me of that a lot. <laughs> You're not perfect. And I had a whole, he said, you have a problem with perfectionism. You think that people should be perfect. And we like, we've been married for 35 years now. And it took a long time before I started giving him the freedom to make mistakes. Well, he's going to make mistakes. And I make mistakes. <laughs> I'm going to just blame him. But yeah, you do. You have to understand that we're, we're on this. 
Yeah. And I think uh, as much as it's about forgiving others, at times it's also about forgiving ourselves for some of the mistakes that we make. Right. right? Yeah. Cool. Oh, yeah. You know, when you feel ashamed for the mistakes that you've made, just learn from it. Don't beat yourself up. And that's what I, because of that negative thinking that comes to the forefront whenever I know I still have that. And I said, oh, no, we're not going there. <laughs> I made that, made that mistake. I don't plan to repeat it. This is what I learned from that. And if I repeat it again, then I said, well, this is what I learned from that. Yeah, yeah, funny. Yeah. Well, Cheryl, this has been a lot of fun. Where, where can people find you if, if they're looking to find you online? Do you have a website? I do. My website is www.cherylcheryleads.com. So it's only one L. And website, I have three gifts for people who are interested in improving their self-leadership. There's my blog is a fair write several articles on mastering self-leadership as well as I'm going to start walk, writing more about issues related to father hunger because that's my current thing. But yeah, you can find different intriguing information. There. Awesome. Awesome. And then where can we find you? your book? Is that available on Amazon, I'm assuming? Yes, it is on Amazon. Awesome. Awesome. And the book again is called Overcoming Daddy Issues, Sorrow to Victory, Stories of Healing from Father Wounds. So Cheryl, thank you so much for coming on the show today. If there was just one message that you could deliver to the audience, the viewers, the watchers, what would that message be? My message would be that you don't have to remain stuck in your pain because you grew up without a dad. It is possible for you to become a self-confident, productive woman and break that negative pattern, any negative pattern that you've had in your family and become the best possible version of you. Awesome, awesome. Well, Cheryl, thank you so much for being here today. It's been an honor and a privilege and I absolutely loved your book. So thank you for writing it. And thank you so much, Sean, for featuring it on your podcast. All right, Sean here again. Thanks so much for joining us this week. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to my podcast so you can catch future episodes. Also, go ahead and give it an honest rating so you can let other people know what you thought of the show. Take care and make it a great day.